Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the EMILY program where we put it all together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to distorted thinking. Please keep in mind that we may discuss difficult topics and we ask that you use your own discretion when listening or that you speak with a therapist as needed. I'm your host, Jillian Lampert, and in today's episode, we're exploring the impact of eating disorders on a family. Our guest, Chrissy Cahill, is here to share her family's experience with anorexia. Chrissy's daughter, Alexandra, struggled with the illness for 18 years and ultimately died from it at the age of 33. Following Alexandra's death, Chrissy discovered some of Alexandra's writing that detailed the complexity and severity of eating disorders. In a bid to help people understand her daughter's illness, Chrissy combined Alexandra's words with her own in a book called Fatal Reflection. Chrissy is joining us from London, where she lives with her husband and enjoys gardening, visiting her grandchildren, and looking after her two miniature schnauzer dogs. Chrissy, it's a privilege to chat with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for asking me, Jillian. I'm so, so proud. Thank you very much. Absolutely. So in your book, you narrate your daughter Alexandra's 18-year struggle with anorexia nervosa. Before we talk about that experience, we'd love to really learn a little bit more about, about Alex herself. Who, who was she beyond this illness? Alex was, huh. Alex was funny. She was, quite honestly, and I imagine so many moms feel the same way, but she was stunning. And she had a lovely, lovely smile, just like her sister. Um, she never let anyone down. She had a generosity about her, and she was just such extremely a hard worker. Um, a couple of things that she organised for me during, you know, her time was a couple of surprises, one of which was a party she held at my friend's house, and it was total surprise. I knew it was our 10th wedding anniversary, but she organised all my friends, etc., to be there. And she did the same for me on a birthday celebration at her sister's. She just loved to see you happy. That was her. Um, she was quite independent, and she could be very strong-willed. Um, but there was a shyness about her too, which was quite sweet, really. She loved acting, which she did do quite a bit of. We used to go to church, and the vicar was a really massive well he did so many writings and plays and she loved to take part in those plays or she would do the background work and get all the all the items ready and of course my home kind of disappeared where she would just take she loved driving her car was a star and that she just she was just great really she sounds wonderful really thank you so lovely thank you, thank you. She did do some nursing as well, okay. um, but she always put the patients before her own challenges. Um, she always had that smile for them. She sounds like a really, really wonderful person. Tell us a little bit about the eating disorder. When did you, when did you realize that she had a problem? It's an interesting question because I thought it may have started around when she was 16. Um, she never had an issue around food. She just loved her food. She never showed any unusual ways of eating, anything to make me think, oh, well, how, you know, there's a problem here. And then about, she was 14 years old and she came home from school and at that era, 
there was a sponsorship form going around for the famine that was being suffered by the African people. And she was so determined, I wanted to do this, Mum, can I do this? Well, what will it involve? Well, I don't eat, okay? How long will you not eat for? Well, 24 hours. I'm allowed water, you know? And she said, the monies will get together and the donations will come in for the charity. Um, I did give her permission for that and she did complete it. So she did start to, um, I think, maybe pick up a bit about control, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. She was 16 at the time, and she said to me, I'm feeling overweight. Alex did this on her own, and she reduced her intake. She started to cut down her meals evening-wise, cut out her snacks, the bits that she really, really loved. Um, and of course, she kind of, well, she did notice that the weight really went down and it did go down fairly quickly. And she, fortunately, she clicked that this was not good. So um, she stopped it and she went back to normal. And we were just fine, absolutely fine. Everything was great. She went to college and college has its own pressures. She wanted to do her, her NNEB to become a nanny and she managed to complete her nanny course and she, she achieved her NNEB. Uh, during that time, she fortunately enough to find a job as a live-in nanny and wasn't too far away from us. So she was able to visit, so that was cool. But during the course of that time, I noticed that she'd started uh, cutting her food down. And um, it was just interesting to me to think, well, hey, you know, what, what's going on here? And she did cut it down. And she noticed it was affecting her job in as much not the fact of the children, but it wasn't good for her. And, you know, she knew it was just not right. And what she did, was to come home to us and she would just go and look after children during the day. But in the end, unfortunately, she just lost so much weight and she uh, decided to uh, leave her job. Fortunately, we had a very, very good GP. He was so, so concerned as to what was happening because she had lost so tremendous amount of weight. And he organised for us to see an endocrinologist just to confirm really whether or not anything was untoward. And because she was at such a low weight, it was confirmed that she did have anorexia. She fought me. No, I'm not, I'm not anorexic. I mean, Roger, her lovely stepdad, he was a lot calmer than because he was outside of it, really. Uh, he tried to encourage her to eat little sandwiches and things, but unfortunately, no, it didn't work. And um, we then knew anorexia was uh, going to be involved in our home. Yeah, okay. That, uh, that sounds, that there's some elements in that story that sound so similar to some other stories that we hear and that, that, it's that interesting changing the way that you eat piece for whatever reason. I mean, it's, it's sort of fascinating the, the first time around with the hunger, famine awareness for the people of Africa and how that 
impacted, sounds like that impacted her. And, and then the next round when she sounded maybe like she was taking on that new job and, and that workload and ended up having her food change again, that we know now so much more about what happens to the brain when people don't have enough to eat, particularly people who are susceptible to developing an eating disorder. It's just fascinating to me as a, as a clinician and, and also somebody who had an eating disorder that it makes so much more sense the more we learn about the brain science that for some people that way they when they change the way they eat or the way they eat is changed for some external reason that it sort of takes hold in the brain in a way that feels different for somebody who's at risk for an eating disorder than it does for for the general population um, i i hear that a bit in in your story what happened next in terms of now we know it's a, a a problem and she's fighting you over it and you're trying in this turmoil to to help her what happens next? What we did, and she, I'm giggling because believe me, she was no way going to get involved, but um, we had some uh, support groups, which we looked into. We had a place called EDA, which is an eating disorders advisory service, really. And they encouraged us to go to MIND, which we did. And... Um, she did come along. She struggled with it, but she did come along. And we met people there that um, made quite an impact on our lives, really. And I kind of gave us the right direction, I think, on how to assist her. And she took on board. She listened. She did listen, actually. And um, um, I would say help her in the right direction. So we thought, so we thought, she got okay. You know, she got to a stage where, yeah, I'm okay. I'm dealing with this and right. the weight's going on and yeah. Yeah. And was it with your, with your family, tell us a little bit about how, how did the eating disorder affect the different members of your family? The sort of physical, emotional just all the impacts an eating disorder can have on a family. What was that like for all of you? Um, we're a fairly small unit. We, we have got little branches off, if you like, you know, cousins. And um, they kind of, uh, well, my father at the time was alive and he did his best to try to understand it um, and found that really, really difficult. But he would always be supportive to her. I think the people that it affected, obviously, more than anything, apart from myself, was her sister. Um, her sister's actually given me some notes on how it affected her and how she felt, if that would help, if I may say. Absolutely. She felt it dominated the whole family's life. She found it all-consuming. She also said to me that Alex's life was overtaken by it. It was like a demon controlling her and subsequently all of us. Um, Claire didn't live with her for the most part, but the like the evil it was, it was always in Claire's mind. She would say, how would she be? Sometimes when she could control it, life would be normal, but mostly she would be consumed with it. And Ali was, you know, she was walking around 
distant and you think, Alex, I'm talking to you, honey, you know, but I'm not really with it. She, and that's how she was. And at various points of her life, Claire felt she battled with the anorexia. That's Alex. The Alex she'd grown to know, the Alex that was a young girl, her sister, she saw less and less. She felt the anorexia was always, always there. She feared it and worried for Alex daily. She said she had feelings that she wouldn't survive it. Claire never spoke to me about those feelings, but I guess she was, yeah. Yeah. And it was too strong for her. She always felt that, um, Claire always hoped that she would be able to beat it. But at the back of Claire's mind, she knew, well, she just had this thing that she wouldn't do it. Um, Roger and I have lived 24-7 with the anorexia. Fortunately, Roger was not blood-related, so it kind of helped a bit because I think, you know, had it been my husband, his closeness, um, his struggles, and I just don't think it, it would have, we'd have ended up divorcing probably anyway, if that makes sense. But because he's blood-related, he wasn't blood-related, it helped me because he was able to be outside the box. We argued, we struggled, we used to talk to friends. However, you're just taken over mentally by trying to resolve it. I think we were always trying to find answers. Um, we had to remain positive, which is always, always we've done, uh, looking for her to be okay, always giving her time. We listened. Roger was great, absolutely great at listening. I'm good at listening too. I have counselling in my background. But when you're so close and you're looking and you have to sit and watch and see what she's doing with food and knowing how slim she's getting, it, it wasn't easy. So it was um, great for him and he used to deal with her panic attacks and stuff. We were both trying to understand the battle she was going through. What we did do, which I did right up until the last, I shunned that voice of anorexia. I just would not listen to it. I had to pull on my lovely Alex. Spiritually, Alex and I, we both went to church. Alex was very much a church person and where we could both be together rather than the insular world, if that makes sense, that Alex was going through, which was really, really tragic. It was just food all the time, Jillian, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, right. You know, with regards to other members of the family, my son-in-law, he came in, not knowing Alex for that long, but he knew her long enough and she adored him. And... Uh, he struggled with it. He really struggled too. And he's actually a hairdresser. Her hair was so important to her, but unfortunately she lost so much of that. But hey, he uh, made her look really cool. <laughs> That's fun. And she wouldn't let anyone else touch it. No <laughs> Just him. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. And how about you? How did you get support for yourself? How did you get through that time? Um, interestingly, I'm sitting here thinking about this. We had some very close friends. 
who live near to us. And believe me, they were brilliant. They listen, chat, and that was the support really. And we'd go around in circles. Roger and I are very good. We um, do talk a lot. And as I said, he's a terrific listener. And uh, I kind of, we're both at work as well. And that was where a lot of stresses were coming in. Uh, when you're working and I had some people that I was in charge of, I hadn't realized how my stresses had gone to work because there was um, a complaint made against myself and I'm just not that person and I'm just, oh, this is really affecting my job. So those stresses and strains, but again, I had good bosses and they were really, really understanding. I mean, there was at one time, Alexandria was in, um, in an eating unit, which was fairly local, fortunately, from where I was working, but she escaped from there and uh, she ran to the dealership that I was working at and the boss was brilliant, absolutely superb. So I had a lot of support for myself in that way. A lot of tears. <laughs> and, but, um, yeah, you just feel that other people are not able to deal with it. I'm not just saying this. I just feel that they were bringing it back to me as though, hey, Chrissy, you, you know, what's going on here? Yeah, it's so hard for people to understand when they, when they don't, live it right it's just it's a it's a confusing complex illness that's hard to understand even when you're in the middle of it but when you're on that outside of it it can be really difficult to understand yes yes because they just feel why don't she eat right so simple what's the problem <laughs> yeah like like perhaps you hadn't thought of that <laughs> <laughs> i know what are you doing chrissy for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> it's so so difficult yeah so following following alexander's death tell us about did you did you and your family learn more about eating disorder from from her writings more about her experience or are there any short excerpts you'd like to share with us um her writings we moved here to essex and i had had her writings some 10 years ago well actually that was not true it was the year she died and I found the writings. I knew all about the diaries, but the writings I didn't. So when I found them, I started to type them up on my computer. And I read, you read, but you don't read, if that makes sense. You, mm -hmm. you read stuff, you take it on a lot more. But from her writings, I learned so much on how the illness was affecting her how it took control, um, just her emotions and her fear, the determination and strength to beat it in herself. And that voice was so powerful. And she showed me how alone she was. And that was really, really difficult to take on board. She felt she didn't have anyone to listen. In one of her writings, she said, her feelings overwhelmed me. So I live in constant fear that eventually they'll all come out, but nobody will hear. Her writings have taught me so much. You think you know, but you don't. 
I have a huge understanding now of what she was having to deal with. And I have to say, I'm so proud of her and her coping mechanisms. And she left those writings for a reason, a path I've taken on board. That's what I guess I did because it was coming up with her 10th year, 10th anniversary. And that's when I knew that I had to do something. I didn't even think of a book because I'm just not a writer. But <laughs> yeah, I have got something there. So I said, Chrissy, for God's sake, you know, they can't be sitting there. You've got to let them go. And that's how it all started. That I sat on the computer and I said to my husband, I would like to do this for her, for her 10th anniversary, really. Um, he said to me, Oh, you're prepared for how it's going to emotionally affect you. Um, and there was massive to do, lots of reading, particularly with the diaries. I mean, she had 18 years of A4 page a day. Wow. So um, some of them were shredded, which she allowed for me to do because they were a bit repetitive. But there was all of that to take on board. and. Um, the writings that she did. So I kind of um, weaved a bit in the story, I think. But um, yeah, I mean, even Claire, I got in touch with her because what I'd done, I prepared some of it, just about 30 pages, and I put in a manuscript and I took them to my daughter. And she started to read them and she said, Mom, you've just got to complete this. This is going to hopefully help other people. But she said, as long as you can manage the emotional pain. And of course, I agreed with it. So, and she gave me the will to go on, if you like, mm-hmm. because, well, it's her sister and stuff. So, and then I started documenting everything up. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started to uh, weave the story. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful story of, of that weaving. It's really, a, you, you created a tapestry that really gives voice to so much. It really is a, I imagine, a really emotionally difficult undertaking, but just such a beautiful outcome. How do you feel now that it's done? How, how do you look at it now that it's done and, and see it in its entirety? <gasps> very proud. Very, very proud. Proud of Alex. That, that's the main thing. I mean, when the book, I finished the book, I just cried. I sobbed, which I found doing the book quite cathartic. So um, it helped me through, I think, get some tears up because of 18 years, you do too many tears. And when she passed, I, I couldn't even shed a tear. So actually doing the book, yes, it kind of helped me. And I just thought, wow, you know. And when I saw it actually physically, I just can't believe it. <laughs> I just could not believe it. It's, um, she looks lovely on the front. And I'm just, you know, it really is. Um, <laughs> I'm just so proud, so proud of her. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. You did it. You, you, you gave her, you, you gave her her voice back and gave the world her voice, which is really a gift. Thank you. Thank you. Would you like me to 
read a part of one of them. Please. Yes, please do. Uh, this is called My Dream, and I hope that all your uh, listeners will like it. She said, I'd love to be a bird flying free right through the sky, swooping round and round and up and down and going low and high. My wings spread wide, flapping up and down as I fly over houses, trees, fields and towns. The breeze blows my feathers as I fly along and my eyes face down so I see what's going on. I scan the fields to find my prey, which is something I do every day. It sounds quite nasty to kill to eat, but I must do it and it's no mean feat. It feeds my mind and gives me strength to continue my journey and fly for great lengths. The morning sun shines strong and bright, and as a new day dawns, I take my flight. I prepare my takeoff and swoop down low, and I spread my wings as it's what I know. The freedom of flying leaves a feeling of peace. This sky is all mine. Clouds show me the way. The breeze pushes me forward and creates a great day. Birds are strong creatures that seem happy and free, and all I desire is for that description be of me. Wow, that's beautiful. How expressive and what a, what a lovely joy of freedom she was writing about. Thank you, yes, means a lot, it means a lot. Absolutely, absolutely. You've, you've been through so much your whole family, and, and of course, Alex. What advice do you have for other families with loved ones who are struggling? As much as we wish that there weren't millions of people right now struggling with eating disorders and their families struggling with them, what would you say to them in their time of struggle? What advice do you have for them? I think the most important thing is to see, to hear, and to listen. Please, please don't think this is attention-seeking. I want to be noticed. They are people that really need help emotionally. I just think it's just so, so important to listen. One of my friends actually um, has read my book and I was really very proud of what she said and this Mayel, because she thought it was just a minor illness and with a bit of help, it would be overcome, which is what we said earlier, you know, hey, you must eat, you know, just try a bit of this, bit of that. And she said how wrong she was that she felt totally ignorant of many facets of the illness and of the absolute torment that goes on in the mind of someone suffering from anorexia. The impact that it creates for that patient and the surrounding family, and that is so, so true. 
I can only stress to you out there, those mums and dads, please listen, understand, give them time. I know you're going to get angry, but hey, you know, you've got to put your daughter or your son first. I just hope that helps. Just hear what they're saying. Yeah, I think that's excellent, excellent advice. I, I think that really illustrates the the misperceptions that unfortunately still exist that eating disorders are somehow a cry for attention or a vanity illness or something about willpower or why can't they just eat or as your friend so elegantly said just a a, a minor illness that can be overcome with some some tweaks and that's just not what it is these are these are major significant, very difficult, fierce illnesses that all too often can take people's lives. And we really need to listen, as you say, and to support people and get them the care that they need and the help that they need and the support they need and the time they need to do what has to be done to get better. If I may say, Julian, just today, um, I received a communication from Alex's professor who looked after her on and off throughout her years and um, she has read the book and the feedback on that was that as we're just talking about is the carers that she is now working with if I may just say what she said here she said that um, there are many books of recovery but we can learn so much by careful reflection on the opposite situation. She said to me that I may be interested in that she's doing some research, is focused at the moment on an intervention to help carers and patients work together to come up with strong informed plans about how to bridge the transition after inpatient care. She said, I think there needs to be more focus on this period and reading your story, which was mine, made this seem even more pertinent. I have warm wishes, and I'm more than proud, but it's great that this is the other side, as she says, of the triangle. She's passed away, and we're hearing how it is, or was, maybe. Right, right. Absolutely. I think that's so true that I, I think a little bit of recovery like a ladder and you have to, like any ladder, take each step as you go down and they're big steps. And so if inpatient is one step, the next step down is a, is a big step and people need a lot of support, continued support in getting off of that ladder. If I may just say, talking about support, if I could just read, I'll be as quick as I can. It's written by Alex's stepdad, my husband, and he entitled it Living with an Anorexic. One doesn't live with an anorexic, one coexists. Coexists with a beautiful human being and a monster. Prime time is trade-off between sense and insanity where insanity reigns most of the time. But when sense shines through, the beautiful being returns and your faith is restored, but on anorexic terms. You fight the demon, 
you fight with all your might until you are weak or until the peace of night. Your dreams are a torment, shadows of the demon around abound, and like the boxer, you await the next round. You fight for years, a few rounds you win, but you lose in the end, she remains so thin. Encouragement and reason are spurned. Many eggshells are broken and then success, but it's only a token. Control is the key, but who controls what I do? What I do, she claims, and runs on the spot. And so it goes on, year after year, there is no respite from what you most fear, but you must stand and fight, conquer strife and help your daughters fight for life. You must shun the unwelcome guest, no matter what it takes. But how can you do that to your kith and kin without letting anorexia in? Mm, incredible. Really, it's so such a poignant description of the the difficulty of the experience absolutely where can our listeners learn more about your book and get a copy chrissy well that's really sweet of you thank you um, a company called austin macaulay are the actual publishers um they have their own website but of course you can google it as well and it's available at lots and lots of places but i could give you their website if you like on as i'm speaking now yes please do okay that's https colon forward slash forward slash www.austinmacaulay.com forward slash book forward slash fatal hyphen reflection and that's their website fabulous well i hope that it is widely read to help people understand what this illness is all about it's such a powerfully emotional story you have with with tragedy and with this glimmer of of hope that's really really lovely and i i really appreciate we really appreciate you sharing not only your time with us today, but your opening up your, your heart and Alex's heart to share it with the world so that we can learn, we can learn more. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, being positive, hey, people out there, it's not negative. It was just unfortunate, but she's here to help you. Right. And that's what I think it's all about for her. Beautiful. Chrissy, thank you again so much. Thank you very much, Gillian. Thank you all for your time and your interest. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, or leave us a review in Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. If you'd like to learn more about the EMILY program and what we do, visit emilyprogram.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at EMILY program. Piecemeal is produced by Angie Mitchell and Nancy Linden with music by Dan Forkey. Thanks for listening.